some may find the following disturbing. Discretion is advised. Welcome, everyone, to a new episode of GTF, Gabriel Talks Football. I am Aldo Gandia, and we've got a jam-packed show. We've got so much to talk about. Uh, Greg and I haven't had an opportunity to talk about last week's game. We'll cover that. We'll cover his latest article on at the Windy City Gridiron about the draft, and we'll talk about a plethora of other things. I'm not even sure I used that word correctly. Greg, who is such a great writer, can correct me. Let's welcome him now. Great, Gabriel. How are you, buddy? I'm doing good. How about you? I'm doing good. A shot of adrenaline has, has coursed my veins here because I get the opportunity to talk football with you, and there are plenty of people gathering in the chat room ready to fire some questions away at you. So where do you want to begin, sir? Wherever you want. You All got right. the mic. Oh, your overall impressions of the loss in New York – to the Giants, and I saw that you tweeted something out about the offensive play calling. It, it appeared that you were less than happy, so I'd like for you to expound on that. Yeah, I, I get what they're trying to do, but at the same time, I think they got to be a little bit more aggressive with, with the play calling. You know, they're trying to protect Justin. You know, he's still not totally acclimated. This is a, this is a difficult system. This is, you know, so it, it takes some time to learn. You know, Aaron Rodgers, as good as he is, was his fourth year before he became a starter playing in the system. You know, he had Brett Favre in front of him for three years, and, and that was a good teacher. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the fans expect a lot, but at the same time, you got to th- – you got to put Justin in the, in the in the fire a little bit and and let him try to make some plays. Now, granted, he's not at the top of his game, but we saw him make plays a year ago. Was it inconsistent? Absolutely, but he made plays. And there's games he passed for over 200 yards. There's games he passed over 250 yards. There's and we saw it in college. So. You know, I don't know exactly what the problem is. You got to be sitting in Hellas Hall to know exactly what the problem is. Is it Justin's problem? Is it the coaching staff's problem? Is it a combination of the two? We can throw all the darts we want at the wall. We don't have the real answer. Mm-hmm. We don't. Uh, and when we look at tape, we can. Uh, decipher some things. We can figure some things out, but we can't. I had on a guest on Tuesday's uh, Dan and Aldo show, Coach T, and I, I thought he put it really well. Even when you look at the tape, you still don't know exactly what went right, what went wrong, because you don't know the play call. You don't know how players were teach, taught on certain things. And so that makes it a little bit of a problem. You don't know whether the quarterback was supposed to go right to left or left to right. You can look at the tape and follow his eyes, but that still may not be the the, the overriding clue. You kind of agree with that approach? from Coach Yeah, yeah. It, you know, it's funny. I had a text conversation with Ross Street the other night, and I said – all 22 is the worst thing to put in the hand of fans. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> because they all become experts. <laughs> and, and I said to Ross, I said, it took me years to learn how to study tape 
mm-hmm. right, and, and to learn to evaluate right. You know, it was a it was a growing process. I've been doing this since 1981, and at 1981, I didn't know shit as compared to you know what I know now. And you learn stuff. You know, I worked for different people. Worked for Bill Parcells. Worked for Dan Reeves. Worked for George Young. You know, and worked in different schemes. So you pick up little things. Then I've worked for some really good scouts. And so, you know, you got to learn from everybody. But And that's just the evaluation part. Now you get into the X's and O's. And I don't pretend to be an X and O guy. I'm not. I'm an evaluator. That's what I've been my whole life. I've coached one year. I don't care about the X's and O's. I care, can people play? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I that's what I that's what my job has always been to determine if they play. Do they have the traits to be able to play the game? Okay, and do they have the wherewithal? Do they have the mental capacity to play the game to do mm-hmm. what they're going to be asked to do within a certain scheme? So, but now when you you get the all twenty two and they start looking at it, they go. Oh, Oh, this guy was open. This guy was open. This guy. Well, number one, you don't know what the hell the play call was. Mm-hmm. You don't know if the receiver, the receiver might be wide open. He might have run the wrong route. Mm-hmm. Well, and that that is a, a perfect segue to what I've got for you next. Right, but let me let me finish. Please, so, please finish or, you know, there's receivers, especially in this scheme, and and what makes it difficult for young receivers to get good early in a scheme like this is that you got to make a lot of side adjustments. Mm -hmm. And so you're, and and what that means is depending on what the defense does, your route could change. Okay. Just as you're coming off the line of scrimmage and you got to be able to do that at full speed Mm -hmm. and you got to make the the correct adjustment, Mm -hmm. you know? So there's all that that plays into it. Uh, you know, you, you you could look at the line play and you could say, oh, he missed a block. Well, maybe it really wasn't his guy, you know, because you don't know what the line calls are. So unless you know, that's why I like, like pro football focus comes out with these grades within a few hours of the game. And I laugh at them mm-hmm. because it, it <laughs> takes, it takes coaches, a position coach. It takes them Four hours, especially if they got a big group. I mean, if you got tight ends or, or you got a limited number, it's different. But but you got to grade every single player on every play. That means you're looking at if you got the offensive line, you're looking at each play at least five times. Mm-hmm. You know, to, to to grade the five players. It's not like you look at it once and you're trying to grade all five guys. You can't. It's, it's impossible to do. To do it right, you got it. It's it's a long uh, process, and you've got to know what each player is being asked to do within the scheme, within the play call. Right. And so when you got everybody now that they, they look at the all 22 and they go, this isn't, you know what? Most of them don't know because they, they, they have no idea what the player is being asked to do. Right. Now I would like to say that there are a handful of people out there who do uh, look at the all 22 and they may not know everything, but they at least provide some uh, information that I think is worthwhile for people. But you're absolutely right. There are so many uh, people out there who are examining all 22 and uh, they're really not qualified. So um, 
and I'm not qualified either. So I'm so happy to uh, have a little bit well, of a, I'll give you a perfect example because it uh, is on defense, mm -hmm. you know, and you say it looks like a corner and, and to the naked eye, it looks like a corner got beat. And a lot of times the corner didn't get beat. The corner was doing what he was supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Maybe supposed to have over the top help, you know, from the safety, depending on exactly on what the, the defensive call was. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so, you know, the, the poor guy gets roasted in the media and he, he might've done his job and the safety screwed up. Yep. Indeed. All right. Let's talk, uh, take a look at this four verts play. Uh, actually, what I want to do is, uh, play um, what Darnell Mooney and Justin Fields said about this four verts play. I've added the play uh, onto over their sound bites. This is going to be about 45 seconds long. And then I, might I, have to see, I might have to see it a couple times. So, uh, well, yeah, what I've got is I've got the play isolated. So after we hear them, then I can play the play for you and uh, we can see it as often as you want. Here, okay. comes, here comes Mooney and Fields talking about the four verts play. That's where it comes like a hassle of just like trying to learn the playbook so much. Um, so last year we had that play call as well. It's called special. And um, number three, like if you see cover two or whatever, you can split up the seam. And um, that's that's how it was last year. But we had the same name, same play. And I was thinking of I had two two on one page, and I'm supposed to be more so to the right of the the top safety, uh, the right side safety. And um, that's where he was looking for me at. Yeah, Mooney ran the uh, how we ran that play last year. So. Um, the number three receiver, if we get that coverage, he would take the middle of the field last year. But this year, we're getting over uh, to the other side of it, like it would be two out of two, and then just hitting that same uh, landmark from three by one. But uh, that play, that coverage, um, mo most likely thinking, you know, one on one with the back check down, and of course, me scrambling. Uh, so I was just doing what I was told. Your immediate thoughts on that, because I got to tell you, th they've added nuance. Which, which, which is what we've been talking about, nuance to that play. A lot of people saw that and say, oh, he missed him down the middle. Right. Exactly. And you know what? And I think their explanations were pretty good. Mm -hmm. And Mooney said, I ran, it the, I, I ran it like I was supposed to run it last year. Right. You know, and it was bad. <laughs> and it, this is this year. Mm -hmm. And so whose fault is it? Is it Justin Fields' fault for not hitting the guy? Yeah, if he hits the guy, everybody's going to love it, right? right. right. And, and, and it's probably a touchdown. But also, when it comes time to to viewing the tape and the coach is great, he's getting a negative. Two players are getting a negative, you know, on, on, on the play because you you got to do what you're being coached to do. Yep. Now, I, I get it. Fans are saying, but the guy was wide open. But yeah, but you got to play disciplined football. Mm -hmm. Okay, and and it, and it's part of the process of learning this scheme. You know, and, and so everybody, no, it's, it's obvious to me, not everybody's on the, the same page yet. Right. Now, Mooney, Mooney played in, in Nagy's scheme for two seasons. Right. And now he's new to this season. And, and we talked about it other things. You just you revert back sometimes. Mm -hmm. You see something and the first thought that comes to your mind, you got to make a sight adjustment based on what he saw in coverage. So mm -hmm. the first thought that came to his mind was, I got to do this. And and he wasn't supposed to do this. He was supposed to do that, mm -hmm. you know. And and so it, it's confusing. And the only way you work it out is keep going over it and over it and over it in practice, and it'll eventually get better. Now I know it sounds like I'm I'm, I'm 
you know, trying to take away from criticism. I'm not doing that, but I just know how difficult it is. And I'll go back. We talked about this just for a second before we started the show. Mm-hmm. 2004, we bring in Lovey. It's a brand new offense. It's a brand new defense. We stunk. We won five freaking games that year. Okay. We had a, and the defensive line was totally new because we used, you know, the year before under Greg Blosh uh, as a defensive coordinator, you know, we had these big defensive line except for Alex Brown. And now we went to an entirely different scheme. We got rid of three players. We got rid of Philip Daniels, Washington, Trailer. You know, all those big guys we got rid of brought in new people. They had to learn how to play a new scheme. And on offense, now that was um, Terry Shea's offense. And Terry, the offense itself is actually Mike Mart's offense because Terry Shea worked for Mike Mart at one time. And I hate that offense because it just, you know, the offense was good when March was good with it, but it didn't evolve with the game. And and we got rid of Terry after the first year, but still it was it 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 was trying to get everybody on the same page and learning. We won five freaking games. But the next year we went to the playoffs. Mm-hmm. You know, we won 10 or 11 in, in 2005. And then the following year, we got to a Super Bowl. You know, so Patience is is the first thing that you've got to have. This year, and I've, I've said this a number of times, for the front office, it's evaluating the players they have. Mm-hmm. If people want to put on criticism, oh, he didn't get the right guys to, you know, to, to surround Fields. Well, he wants to see what Fields is, too. Mm-hmm. Is, is he going to be the guy? And And – then he's not – I don't blame him for not spending money. I'm going to tell you right now, I don't think he's going to spend a lot of money next year either, even though they're going to have $100 million. Yeah, you I know, thought so too. Yeah. You know, that, that's – because if you look at some of the people he worked for, they weren't big spenders. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're, you're a wise spender. And you've also got – and I, I mentioned this in the article the other day too. You've got to take care of the guys you want to keep. There's going to be guys you signed to one-year contracts that you're going to want to – keep and then sign to a, a multi-year deal, maybe a two-year, three-year deal or whatever, they're going to get some money. You got to determine if you want to bring back Roquan, he's got to get some money. There's mm-hmm. other players that you're going to have to pay. Do you want? Are you going to keep Montgomery or are you going to let him go into free agency? Because if you keep him, you're going to have to pay him. So, you, you know, you're going to use, and say with Jalen Johnson, you got to make a determination on Jalen Johnson. Mm-hmm. You know, because you can you can redo him after this season, after the first of the year. So doesn't mean they're going to, but they can. And you could lock up a bunch of that hundred million before you even go outside the building. If there's guys, they in fact feel, you know, deserve to get paid. Great, great point, uh, Greg. It's something I have not expressed, but something that I have been thinking about. And uh, you, you, you basically 
articulated what my mind was trying to get around. This is a rebuild. And I'll tell you one thing. Arif Hassan was on the Buffon 55 show last uh, night. He writes for Pro Football Network, used to write for The Athletic, outstanding writer, covers the Vikings. And he told us that one of the reasons Ryan Pose, he, he believes that Ryan Pose may have been offered the Vikings GM job, but one of the reasons Pose preferred the Chicago Bears job is because the Vikings still felt that they were in playoff mode and wanted instant uh, playoff appearances, whereas with the Bears, he could build the thing, uh, he could tear things apart and build things and not have to be, and management was expecting that you don't have to be in the playoffs in, the, in your very first season or even second season, build it the way you think. And I think fans need to understand that. And I understand why Ryan Pose has not used that rebuild word because it's off-putting to veterans like Robert Quinn. But it really, it is a rebuild, and it's going to take some time, guys. So let's be patient is the theme. Well, hey, look, we've, we've, there's highs and lows, you know, w- w- with the fan situation here that to me is absolutely crazy, and I'm not criticizing the fans, but they get too high over a win and too low over a loss. Yeah, mm-hmm. that I think they could beat the Giants. Yeah, should they have beat the Giants? Yeah, they couldn't finish drives and get field goals. That's that's on the offense. They should have won that game. But here's what the reality is. The reality is is they're going to win some games they shouldn't win, and they're going to lose some games they should win. And in the end, I've said all along, they're best of 500 team. You know, they might be 9-7. and seven, They might be 7-9. Uh, and nine, No, that's 8-9, and 9-8, nine, nine and 7-11, and 11, or, you know, something like that. They're 7 and uh what would it be? Seven and 10. You know, it, it's going to be somewhere in that area. And then, you know, going into the draft, you're going to, you know, not have a, you're probably not going to have a top five pick, but you're going to have a good pick and you're going to have a good pick in every round. And then, you know, and, and, and then there's, there's a theory to that, that how you work that draft and you work the draft depending on, the strengths and weaknesses of the draft. And part of it has to do with what you did in free agency. They all work together. You know, there's two modes of uh, acquiring players, veteran free agency and the draft. And you've got to work hand in hand with those two. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at it and say, okay, I got a need here, here, and here. And you look at the strengths and weaknesses of free agency, the strengths and weaknesses of the draft. And you hope that in a perfect situation, you can get both between those two areas of acquisition, but sometimes it doesn't work out that way. And uh, for everyone who wants more information on that, Greg, who is an outstanding writer, has been writing for years, wrote uh, for Pro Football Weekly's Draft Guide, all over the place, Pro Football Network, you name it, he's written for it. Uh, He's got an excellent article up at the Windy City Gridiron that talks about the draft and free agency and building a team, so you can get more, more information on that. Um, Greg, I'd like to show uh, uh, two or three plays here. Uh, I don't think we need to see the four verts. I think the uh, Mooney and Fields explained that correctly. What I'd like to show you first, though, is the very first pass call of the game. It was a completion to Darnell Mooney over the middle for 18 yards. And is that was- the first one or is the first one to um, commit? Maybe I'm... I think it was Mooney. I'm pretty sure it was Mooney. First quarter, 13-03, second down. Um, So what I wanted to point out here is that this was a max protect play. Um, 
let me oops let me let me stop it here and I'll, I'll i'll do the end zone as well but you will see that they are coming with a five-man blitz and we've got seven guys blocking and so that gives mooney the time to step up in the pocket and hit the open guy yeah, right over the middle time you mean i'm sorry <laughs> I'm sorry, Fields. Oh, oh. <laughs> and so uh, Mooney is making the nice move into that open part of the, of the if the, I don't know if it's called zone. You you correct me, but he hits him over the middle. But the but this why I wanted to share this with you is that as the game progressed, the only times and that Fields had time to throw, with some exceptions, was on match protect. And so. What that does is it limits the options of targets downfield, and that makes it really difficult for a quarterback to play football. <laughs> well, it, it, when, when you're keeping a tight end to block in the block, mm -hmm. yeah, then, then that that helps the defense coverage wise because they got more guys to cover less. Right, exactly. In fact, you 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 got a wide play that right over. Sure. Look From look, look look who's you got a wide receiver blocking right there. Exactly, number nineteen. Jay Brown. Mm-hmm. Who's a good blocker, by the way? Look at him. He picks up the outside guy. He got his stats. Yeah. But it, it's so now the onus is on two people. The onus is on Fields, and the onus is on Mooney for running the right route, and Fields for getting the ball out of his hand. Mm-hmm. And he. Now, and I can tell you, on this first drive, mm -hmm. you know, I was kind of excited because he had success early. So I mm -hmm. thought that would, and that's why I got a little frustrated with the with the play calling, uh, because he had success early, and let's build on that success because mm -hmm. more it, it, it the more success he gets early, the better off he'll be, you know, during the course of a game. That's my opinion, you know. Yeah. And, and, you know, a, a lot of people get down on Getsy. You've had some questions about Getsy's play calling, but that to me was an outstanding play call. Let's get the, cuff, the quarterback comfortable. Let's give him max protect. Let's give him uh, probably a play they've run in practice a million times to get him comfortable. And there was this high level of comfort in Justin Fields early in the game that I, I was applauding. But as the game wore down, I think the Giants, you know, knew what was coming and it became more and more difficult for Justin Fields. And part of that difficulty had to do with the offensive line starting to collapse as the game went on. This is a sack of Justin Fields and he's got Cole Komet out in the flat and doesn't see him. I think because at this point in the game, he was concerned about the uh, pressure. I'll play it and uh, you can comment, sir. I apologize for the green glitches. The NFL network is uh Screwing me. You saw uh, Komet out on the left flat, and here's the end zone look. The pressure is coming in from the outside. He's got Komet there. He doesn't pull the trigger, and he's sacked. Okay, go go do do it. Go back right. No, not there. The other one. Right here. Okay, here it comes. Now, this is my opinion, but I you know I don't know exactly what they're being asked to do in mm -hmm. the play. But here's when you throw the ball. Now, right there, right there, right. Yeah. Why? Why didn't he do that? I don't understand. And we, and we we can't answer that, you know, because it, it's what's going on in his mind. Mm -hmm. And yeah, he's he's number one. He's thinking I got to make a play. 
but is that going to be with my feet or is that going to be with my arm? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. then you, you've got to, he, he's got to correct that within himself. His first job is to make plays with his arm, I believe. Okay. Then make plays with his feet. Mm -hmm. Go from there. But at the same time, you got to have that play was there from what it looked like. And again, I'll go back to what I said, you know, 15, 20 minutes ago. We think it was there. Mm -hmm. Was was did Cole Komet actually run the right route? Uh, where was he in the progression? Was mm -hmm. he, you know, he theoretically, and I'm not making an excuse here, theoretically, he could have been number three. Okay, so if he's number three, Justin's not even going to look at him. He's looking for one and two. And in the meantime, he sees that guy coming in untouched. Yeah. Well, so this, this is what I mean by, you know, by you really got to know what they're being asked to do. Right. But when you look at that right now, Excuse me. you know, the two inside receivers, mm -hmm. they're, they're covered. Mm -hmm. You know, and... and Yep. Now, uh, Aaron asked a question, could number 55 have jumped the route and taken it for a pick six if he would have pulled that trigger to uh, Cole Komet? I think not, uh, but uh, what do you think? Not if he got rid of it at the right time. Yeah. But yeah, see, I mean, now, now here's another, what, another thing. Now you're asking him to be, you know, Mahomes or something like this, but play it over. But now he makes this little move. He should have got it there, but right there now – Right before you see that, you know, the little sidearm. Yes. That little shortstop throw. Right. To first base. Okay. Do the same thing to, to commit. You might be off target on it, but, you know, the guys who have the talent to drop their arm and go low, you know, you could do that. And, and, and the play's there. But again, mm -hmm. who is, where is commit in the progression? Mm -hmm. And without knowing that, we can't really analyze the play correctly. Mm -hmm. It's it's so easy to say there's an open guy and he missed him. Right. But he's 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 been taught or is being taught to go one, two, three. And you gotta know who one and two are. Mm-hmm. All right. So I gotta I got to present, well, let me present this one uh, piece of video because everyone's been talking about Lucas Patrick, Lucas Patrick, let's put him in at center and so forth. But I got to tell you, man, I am not impressed with what I see out of him at card. Here's an example a fields is sacked for minus nine yards. You'll see Lucas Patrick is playing the left guard position here, a position that he's uh, has only played like about 10 pro games at, but he just gets bull rush right into Justin Fields' lap. Over him. Who's that? Is that? Yeah, it's probably one of the greatest players in the history of football based on what I saw here. I'll tell you what, when he was at center last year at Green Bay, mm -hmm. you never saw that. And I saw a bunch of his games. I, mm -hmm. I, I saw at least six games. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he looked great. He got beat there. And, and Mustafer has leveled off. He has. Okay. And, and he's getting beat. And, you know, I thought now white hair gets hurt. You had to put, um, 
Uh, Patrick over on the left side. He hasn't even practiced on the left side. Now, that uh, right away, fans say, well, I got beat. He stinks. Guy hasn't even practiced on that side all year. Mm-hmm. Good point. Okay? And so now, and, and it's the exact opposite of playing right guard. Mm-hmm. You're playing mm-hmm. in a left-handed stance versus a right-handed stance. Your feet are the direct opposite of what they are from the other side. There's subtle changes mm-hmm. in the you know pass set, the way you use your hands. All of that stuff comes into play. Mm-hmm. Now, when you play it a lot, it might not be a big deal. But when you get thrown into a situation and you have not since the last time he played, the last time he was at left guard was sometime when during his career at, at Green Bay. You know, so, you know, you, you got to give the guy a little slack on that because his technique could be off. And, and, and the technique is, is, you know, especially in pass protection, that, that's very, very important. It's easy to criticize. Mm-hmm. And I know it, it sounds like I'm making excuses. I get it. <laughs> but I'm not. What I what I try to do here is, you know, having had a sit in the office during the week, you know, at, at Hallis Hall, and you go and you have wins and you have losses, and you're trying to figure out why. You know, I, I never get too high over a win. I never get too low over a loss. I want to know why, who's playing good, who isn't playing good. And, and go from there. And why, if somebody didn't play good, why didn't they play good? You know, mm-hmm. is there, the, the, there could be circumstances where we don't have the, you know, the answer to that. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. But I got to tell you, and I, I'm, I'm not trying to pick on Justin Fields, uh, but I've mentioned this a couple of times on uh, other shows, and I want to get your reaction to it over at NFL.com. Lance Zerline's scouting report for Justin Fields, tons and tons of positives. Overall, he ranked them that within two years, he, he should be a, a high-quality starter in the NFL. But when he listed his weaknesses, I saw a lot of things, a lot of things that he is still doing at the NFL level. Needs to improve pocket mo- mobility for clean launch points. Below average feel for edge pressure. Field vision is average in face of the blitz. Gradual operation time prevents expedited release. Needs to release the ball earlier on anticipatory throws. Needs to improve eye manipulation as a pro. Stagnant eyes invite coverage to the passing party. Forces receivers to slow down for deep throws. That one I haven't really noticed. And, um, and, 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 and that's, that's it. All of those things that he listed there, I'm still seeing an issue with Justin Fields. I know it's going to take time, but does it concern you at all that after, what, 14, 15 starts, we're still seeing problems in all those weaknesses that were identified uh, by one of the uh, scouts of, uh, of, the, of the draft? Well, I like, I like Lance. He's a good guy, and he's actually a friend of mine. Um, I don't think he's the greatest evaluator. He's good. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, Lance's real job is he's a radio personality mm-hmm. in Houston, and he's a good guy. And his dad coached in the league forever. You know, his dad was a um, uh, offensive line coach and a very, very good one for a long time. And Lance is a really good guy. He, he got this job uh, with uh, NFL.com. Um, 
the guy who really taught Lance, besides his dad, uh, was Ballard. Ballard and Lance are real good friends. Ballard lived in Houston most of his life. In fact, I met Lance in Houston. There was a, uh, the Bears were playing on a Sunday somewhere, and I was in Houston because I had a game either at Texas or one of those places, and I was staying in Houston on Sunday, so we went to wherever, you know, some sports bar where we could get the, the Bears game, and there was Chris and me and, and Lance. That's the first time I met him. And, uh, you know, really good guy, really knowledgeable guy. But, you know, you, you know, look at his, his rankings and then see where they, and then compare that to where they come off the board. And, and that's not really a criticism because, you know, you, you, you got two scouts on the same team that are going to be different. You know, some guy may have them up here. Another guy may have them down a lot lower which is fine. It's an opinion and it's an opinion based business. And, uh, and again, I'm not, I'm not picking on Justin Fields. I, I just want to learn why, you know, it's taken so long. And, and as uh, Jay Sanders points out um, really, although it's his second year in a new system, what do you expect? And it's first, well, first year in this system. And I, I, I wrote about this last week. He, he played one system last year, mm-hmm. and I and, and we all can agree on one thing: the way he was brought along was terrible. Mm-hmm. Okay, he didn't get the reps he needed. Uh, they brought in Andy Dalton to play. I I just think that when it gets down to it, the guy who was supposed to be the quarterback guru wasn't a quarterback guru, mm-hmm. meaning Matt Nagy. Mm-hmm. And his handling of the situation because they all stunk. Not one, not two. They all did. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, and so was it the scheme? Was he being bullheaded with the scheme? Hey, that seems a good scheme. You mm-hmm. know, watch, watch Kansas City play. And and right now, watch what, what uh, Peterson's doing with uh, – Peterson's doing at, at, at Jacksonville. Jacksonville, yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. and and they're starting to put points on the board. So the scheme's a solid scheme. It's how you call plays with it, how you're using it, how you teach it, the execution, all of the above. And you know, we saw Mitch have problems with with reads. Mm-hmm. Fields seems to have problem with reads. Now I, I saw every one of his games his final year at Ohio state. So it was his junior year in college. He had the one year at, at Georgia, two years at Ohio state. There was two games and I, the one was, was Indiana. I can't remember who they were playing in the other game, but where he had a little difficulty, mm-hmm. all the rest, in my opinion, he was lights out. Then you go fast forward and, and you go to that playoff game against Clemson. Mm-hmm you can't find me a play where he did something wrong mm-hmm. and he got hurt in that game. He got hurt. What the second quarter of that game, and was playing with bruised ribs and still didn't miss a throw. Mm-hmm. And the timing, the timing was great. His reads were great. He went through a progression. So he can't tell me he can't do it. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's, it's more confidence in himself, confidence that he's doing the right thing. 
mm-hmm. you know, with, with within the play and knowing exactly what he's supposed to do within the system. Mm-hmm. Okay, he's only he's only been in the system for what? When you count the off-season program, six months? Yep, exactly. exactly. You know, so and, and then learning how to do it. And and then you go back to the first clip you showed with uh, with Mooney and Fields, and Mooney's going, I ran last year's route on this type of play. And Fields is saying, Well, that's how we did it last year. So he's thinking he's trying to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And um I, I think I, I really believe this, and I hope I'm right and, and, and not wrong. It's it's about him getting confident within the scheme himself. And then the coaches will have more confidence in him, and then you'll see them open up the game. I'd like to see him open up the game now. So what if he makes a mistake? Yeah, fans are going to bitch. Right. Okay, who cares? Mm-hmm. The important thing is he grows. Absolutely. That is the number one priority for this team um, is to either grow or for Ryan Poles to, you know, make the evaluation. This may not work with our team, with this quarterback. Uh, My my hope is, is that it will work because we'd hate to start over by drafting another quarterback, acquiring another quarterback. Even if it's a veteran quarterback, I I wouldn't want to go through that process again of bringing in a Jimmy Garoppolo and having him for four or five years and then uh, probably playing mediocre football because well, you haven't look, look, look what happened. The perfect example is the Colts. Mm-hmm. Look mm-hmm. What they had their guy. And in training camp, he, he decides to hang up because of the beating oh, he's taken, mm-hmm. you know, in luck, in Andrew Luck. And since then, they've had a quarterback a year because they can't get one. Yep. It's not like, you know, <laughs> they're on sale somewhere over at Walmart or Target. You know, <laughs> or or, or Parcells used to say, call 1-800-GET-A-QUARTERBACK. It doesn't <laughs> work that way. Yes. I wish I had handy this soundbite from uh, Greg Ballard. Chris Ballard, excuse me, I always do that. Chris Ballard <clears throat> talking about acquiring the quarterback. Uh, where and I'm paraphrasing here. He says it's not easy. <laughs> you, you, you know, uh, you you're always looking for a good young quarterback in the draft. But I'm not going to reach for a, a young quarterback uh, just to you know put one on the roster. I'm going to try to select the right guy. And if I've got to go with a veteran, uh, then so be it. So he he said it much better than I just did. But it is a very very tricky situation, and a lot of general managers who have won Super Bowls have done so because they've gotten lucky. Uh, you know, Patriots, for instance. <laughs> I mean, Tom Brady in the sixth round. How about that for luck? All right. Um, let's get to some questions here. Uh, let's start one, with... One thing I want to I hit on first sure. is, is the draft because we see a lot, a lot of comments later. You mm-hmm. know, Kyler Gordon is, is struggling a little bit. Big deal. It doesn't bother me at all. It's a tough position to play. Rookies get picked on. Rookies get beat. Okay. How about this? The last two games, when you count the nickel scheme as a starting scheme, you got three out of five DBs in there are rookies. Mm-hmm. Some of those guys are going to get beat because that's who you're throwing at. You know, and, and, and you got Vildor, who's almost like a rookie, but you know, he's got, he's got some experience, but Bill, Bildor and Jackson are the only guys that are, that are veterans. Right. Right. You know, and so you had the young Johnson's Johnson's a rookie. 
the safety is, is a rookie. The, the slot mm-hmm. corners are rookie. These guys are going to get beat. So, but anyway, my point was to pay a while. They should have taken one of the receivers. They keep, keep going, you know, Perkins from Georgia. Well, I know for a fact that, and I want to say this on here, Perkins is a fucking turd, okay? <laughs> he was off the board of many, many teams because of character issues. Now, I'm not going to say he's a criminal. That's mm-hmm. not the point. He's an asshole, okay? A me-first asshole. And mm-hmm. he's already shown it with Pittsburgh. He had a big temper tantrum on the sideline. He's mm-hmm. a good rookie. Shut your mouth and play the game. I agree with you. And a lot of people uh, don't account for that, uh, you know, behavior, uh, character traits, uh, how they're going to fit in in the locker room and so forth. We've seen uh, Bears teams here that had talent on offense, Brandon Marshall, Alshon Jeffrey, and so forth. But those guys were problem locker room players and may have, while they put up some sensational stats and highlights, they have, they were part of the problem with this team where they would, didn't respect. Well, well, Marshall's a great example. I don't think he stayed with the team more than two, except Denver originally, but mm-hmm. I don't think he stayed with the team more than two years. Mm-hmm. You loved his production. You hated the person. Right, right. Um, all right. Um, where do I want to go? I want to go to some questions here. Let's start with Aaron, who was at the uh, Kentucky game. He says, do scouts sit in the stands? I saw a guy at the UK NIU game that wasn't dressed like a fan, and I thought he'd be the, this would be the perfect question to ask. Of course they sit in the stands, right? No. No. <laughs> it, 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 it depends on where you're at. Most places put you accommodate you in the press box. Okay. Or, or an auxiliary press box. Now, when I first started, for years and years and years, in fact, it's only been, say, the last 15 years mm-hmm. that the Big Ten let you in the press box. In fact, you know, before Penn State joined the Big Ten, I was always in the press box when I went to a Penn State game. And then um, the SID was Bud Tallman. He used to be with the Bill the Bills. And so I knew him going back to when I worked, you know, started off with the Bills in 1901. He always gave me a great seat in the press box. And then they joined the Big Ten and I, I get a note from Bob, Greg, I can't take area anymore. You got to sit in the stands. Mm-hmm. And so that's just the way it was. Uh, the only place in the Big Ten that would put you in the press box was Minnesota. And they put you, you know, in the old dome they put you in the baseball press box over in the corner mm-hmm. which, which was fine with me you're still you know when you're in the stands it's tough because people and i'll give you a story in a minute and and you, you got all these people around you it's mm-hmm. noisy and you're trying to get your work done right I, and sometimes the seat they used to give you is terrible now lsu years ago used to put us in the stands now they put you in the box they expanded it and they got plenty of room but i this goes back to i think it was 93 i'm at an lsu kentucky game and lsu wasn't nearly as good as they are now and the stadium was probably two-thirds full well, right now you can't buy a seat to get to an lsu game so i'm in like a corner end zone seat and i'm trying and there weren't that many people around me but i'm 
you know, taking notes and talking into a little mini, you know, cassette recorder. And all of a sudden there's a tap on my shoulder. And I turn around and it's a cop. He goes, boy, you some sort of fucking spy or something? <laughs> swear to God. Now, the story gets good. I said, no, I told him what I'd do. So he sits next to me the whole game. Now, I didn't get any work done because he's asking me questions. So I got absolutely no work done at, at, at that game whatsoever. Mm -hmm. But he turned out to be a great guy. And you know, a, after the game, I was staying. It was a Sheridan then. It's a Marriott now in, in uh, Baton Rouge. But he says to me, he goes, where's your car parked? And I said, hell, I'm a mile and a half away. Because, you know, parking wasn't that good. He goes, follow me. So his car is right outside the gate, one of mm -hmm. the corner gates. Mm -hmm. His car, he drives me to my car, then escorts me to the hotel. I must have been to the hotel 15 minutes after that game was over. That is awesome. <laughs> so not, not, now, fast forward, his name, he gives me his card. Mm -hmm. His name was Winston Ashe. Ashe is a coon dog. Kunas from, from Louisiana, and, and he, you know, so he's a Cajun, and he said, now, son, you get any trouble down here, I'm going to put, we didn't have cell phones then. Mm -hmm. I'm putting my phone number on it, and he says, you give me a call, you get any trouble, I'll take care of it for you. So, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so I see Hokie guys on a couple days later, and, and, uh, Hokey was with the Saints. He later he played for the Saints, went to LSU. He he later he died a couple of years ago, but he later did the uh, color commentary on on the Saints radio network. And I'm telling Hokey the story. We're probably at Northwest Louisiana or someplace. He says, "Hey, I'm going to need that guy's number before you do. Give me his number." But then later on, remember during uh, the big hurricane in in what was it, 2005, 2006. <clears throat> And that just destroyed New Orleans. So we were playing New Orleans that year, and the game got moved to LSU. So I'm at, uh, and the night before LSU plays, they played Appalachian State. Mm -hmm. So I go to the Appalachian State LSU game the night before we played the Saints. And I'm on the sideline. Because we, the guy who got a sideline pass is Tony Medlin, who's the Bears equipment guy, mm -hmm. was real tight, real good friends with the Appalachian State equipment guy. So he got me a sideline pass on the App State side. So I'm down there, so I see a bunch of Baton Rouge cops, and I walk up to them, and I said, hey, I got to ask you guys something. I said, I told them the story I just told you from 1993. And I said, is Winston Ashe still around? He said he retired three weeks ago, and he became the commandant of the Baton Rouge Police Department. Oh, how about that? How cool. What a great story. <laughs> and as uh, Aaron, the Bearded Bears fan, says uh, and one of the co-hosts of the Barfly Tailgate Show, that's just Southern hospitality, brother. So uh, I love it. All right, uh, I got a question here. Uh, this is uh, Danger T, I think, joined us just a little while ago. It's a little bit repetitive about what we've been talking about, he, but he does bring up Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers struggling early on with this offense as well. 
Uh, we're, we're seeing, I think, the perfect example right now is Russell Wilson. He's playing his first year under this new offense with the Denver Broncos, and he's not exactly lighting things up. What do you think? Well, Russell Wilson, you know, there's a two-part answer to that. And it's not just Russell Wilson. It's everybody else on the team, too. They're mm-hmm. all new to the system. They played it, and, and in Wilson's case, he played an entirely different scheme in Seattle. So now he's coming in, he's got, a, and, and it's breaking old habits. It's like going back to that, the film clip with Mooney. Well, I ran last year's route. Well, mm-hmm. you know, he he's, was in the same system for so long in Seattle. You know, that's the way his brain works. And, and it's now shifting over to that new scheme. And there's a lot of times when you get in the middle of the play and you're like, you're looking for where you were last year versus where you're supposed to look now. You follow what I'm saying? Absolutely. Now And then it's the same thing with the rest of the guys because they were in a different scheme last year than they are this year. So it's everybody trying to get on the same page. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers, I don't know if he struggled. He, You know, when he became a, a starter at, at Green Bay, you know, he, he followed – Brett Favre, but he wasn't playing in this scheme. This is his what? This is what the first third year or fourth year at Green Bay, right? Okay, yeah. so he he might have got off to like you know I have to go back and look at the his numbers say for the first half season and see how he did in it. But it's still it it takes a while for things to become second nature, mm-hmm. and they don't just click overnight. And now you had the fact now he was shit. He was already ten plus years in the league when he started playing in it. So he'd already, from the, the understanding of under, you know, reading a defense and knowing what the defense is going to throw at me, Rogers was great at that, but it's still doing everything right with what he's being asked to do within the scheme. Now you get a guy like Justin Fields who played one scheme last year and then doing an entirely different scheme this year and trying to get involved with a bunch of other guys that, I just learning the scheme for the first time. It's mm-hmm. not easy to do. It isn't. Uh, so again, the key word, the word of the day is patience. <laughs> All right, let's get back to some more questions. I've got. Um, I'd like to get a comment on this. Usama says, "Post sacrifice fields development for long term success." Not understanding that fields development is needed. For long-term success, what do you think about what Mr. Ansari says? I, I don't agree with that at all, and, and I'll tell you why. First, Poles is not going to come in here and spend a ton of money. And, and first of all, if you look at the the wide receiver market, free agent market from this past spring, mm-hmm. those numbers are way off, all because of the, the the contract Christian Kirk got day one from Jacksonville. And so that that bumped everybody else up. You get a lot of guys that got a lot of money, a lot more money than they would have gotten had everything stayed fairly similar to what was going on the year before. And he was not, having not known the, you know, what, what Fields was going to do he brings in some players that, you know, he has familiarity with Pringle gets, mm-hmm. he has familiarity with, with 
EQ. And so, and then you had Mooney. And, and so you try to blend it together. And EQ knew the offense. So you knew that from that standpoint, it was going to be helpful. Uh, it, it's just, we keep going back to the same thing, getting everybody on the same page. Not like these guys can't play. Some mm-hmm. of them, they got to go out and get a receiver. No, they got they got to learn to play together. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yep. All right, next question up on the board. Um, <laughs> Stephen uh, Nagishi, where is your question, Stephen? I got it here. Does Dieter Iceland deserve a shot at center, or is he nothing more than a practice squad player? Dieter is the, probably the most popular guy in Chicago right now, given the way Mustafa's been playing. <laughs> um, yeah. I liked him coming up. What's this, his third year now? Yes. Well, that ought to give you your answer. Mm-hmm. He had never earned a regular shot. He was a pretty good player at Yale. I think it was Yale. I know it was an Ivy League school. Mm-hmm. And, but that's real low level of comp. Okay, so he's not going against NFL players in any of their games during the year. But he was a tough guy. He was physical. He's obviously smart. Uh, came in as a guard. Uh, now he's learning the center position. But do you trust him to play center in a regular season game when he never played the position until this year? Mm-hmm. So it's that. Now, the coaching staff, is they're around him every day. They're going to get a, a feel for what he can and can't do. I firmly believe that had uh, Cody Whitehair not gotten hurt, Patrick would have been starting at center this week. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Okay, <clears throat> and that would have helped things. But Cody got hurt, and so now, okay, you could do two things. You could put Patrick at center, and then either Carter or bring up somebody from the practice squad and put them at left guard. But do you trust that situation? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, it's. I I think what the and, and I'll tell you, they're not going to tell you who's lining up yet on Sunday. It still might be a little different lineup. You know, because they've put a guy down on IR. Cordy's down on IR, and nobody's been brought up yet. Mm-hmm. At least as of right now, nobody's been brought up yet. Right. So what we see is the lineup. I I know Flu said, well, what you saw at the end of the game, that's going to be the lineup going forward. Well, he's the first guy to tell you, I don't want to say anything about injuries. I don't want to say who's playing. Why? Well, I was a defensive coordinator for a long time. Matchups. Hmm. I don't want them to know what the matchups are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So knowing you're going to find out who's playing center on Sunday, Sunday. Yep. Don't make it easy for the opposition. It makes sense. Um, the question, uh, let's stick with the offensive line. Kenny Roy, he, here's Kenny Ray, excuse me. Do you feel like Tevin Jenkins is the only player being publicly outwardly held accountable? Uh, I don't, I don't know if I agree with that either. Only that, I mean, they're not saying negative things about him, except that he didn't practice good two Wednesdays ago. So two weeks ago yesterday. Uh, so they started Patrick instead of him. He has played very well. But what this staff wants, and I totally get what they want, you want to play, 
you better practice good. And if he's not practicing good, there, there's something that we don't know that's going on with Tevin Jenkins. Mm-hmm. Okay. Whether it's, you know, total commitment, work ethic, um, practice habits. I don't know what it is. And, and we're probably never going to know what it is. Talent wise, way up here. Mm-hmm. Okay. I've, I've said this before on the show. I think they're trying to get him to learn how to become a pro. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. And uh, I guess what's, the, what's frustrating for fans like Sam is that they haven't said anything about the poor play of Mustafer and Larry Borum at times too. I mean, everybody in that offensive line has played poorly at certain parts or certain portions of the game and so far this season. And the only time I guess I'll answer for Greg here and tell me if you agree with this. The only time they've brought up Tevin Jenkins is when there's been direct questions from the media about why did why was was Jenkins not the starter when you were still rotating at the right guard position. And Eberflus said, you know, he had a bad practice on Wednesday. And uh, Jenkins responded to that saying he wasn't feeling well and he should have you know either told the team that or – you know, played hard through that. So, um, you know, I, I don't think I don't think these other players are 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 in the tape room and getting a pass from any of these coaches. No, well, he he doesn't answer a question unless he's asked the question. Mm-hmm. And, right. But he 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 he's not about to throw people under the bus. Mm-hmm. Okay, but mm-hmm. if he's asked a direct question, he'll answer it the best. Like the the play. He said, you know, the the incomplete pass that turned out to be a, a, a fumble, mm-hmm. which was a, you know, the right call. It was a fumble when you when you look at the replay. But he said, yeah, every offensive lineman got a loaf on that play. Mm-hmm. Well, I can tell you, looking at it from, from the standpoint of the offensive line, I, can't, I, I get the loaf part, but at the same time, how are they supposed to know that? They're in front of the the play, mm-hmm. you know, in front of the quarterback blocking and the ball goes out, you know, and, and so they don't know that it actually, he lost it a split second before his arm started moving forward. And it was really a fumble and an incomplete pass. So I guess the moral to them is it's regardless. You see the ball on the ground, you go after it. Mm-hmm. And, and then we'll, we'll sort it out at the end of the play. So that that was the, I guess, the moral of the story, so to speak. But was it fair to give everybody a loaf? I'm not. I'm not so sure on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think uh, you know, there's some frustration on the part of fans here, like Sanders. Jay Sanders says, "I've seen Eberflus dodge questions, but he didn't uh, have to throw Jenkins under the bus. That's his best lineman." And I don't know. I don't know if he threw him under the bus, or it's a, or it's a good motivational tactic, like some people have said in the chat room. We don't know, uh, but the good thing is, is that Jenkins is playing well and looks to be getting better and better. So whatever is going on and however he's been treated, it hasn't impacted his play on the football field. Let's talk about the defensive line well, here. Well, I want to just add one thing to that, although that, you know, I, and I learned this from Parcells a long, long time ago. The, you know, a lot of coaches think you treat every player the same. And Barcells was the exact opposite. 
said, you find out the personality of that player and you treat every player differently. Mm-hmm. Player A, you got to treat like this. Player B, you got to treat with kid gloves. You find out what's going to make that player work and perform to his optimum. And that's the way you work with him. So in saying that, none of us know Tevin Jenkins. Mm-hmm. Is he the type that performs better when you kick him in the ass? Or like Devin Hester. You couldn't hard coach Devin Hester. He'd go in the tank. You had to put your arm around him. You had to love him all the time. Mm-hmm. You had to explain things to him. Okay, so it, it's knowing that, knowing the personality of each player and how to motivate that player. Mm-hmm. Love that. That's the way uh, it should be, you know, in, in a lot of life instances too, you know, don't treat everybody the same. Some Sometimes, you know, the best way to get along with people is to know what they like, don't like, and, and you know, try to have conversations with those things in mind. B minor wants to talk about the defensive line because he says, we always are talking about the O line, but this D line needs help. We bring no pressure. And then later on, uh, Kenny Roy, Kenny Ray, excuse me, uh, says Flus's guy number fifty-five, Muhammad, has done virtually nothing all year. Can't set the edge or affect the QB. Uh, Greg, take it away and talk about this defensive line. What have you seen? What do you like? What don't you like? Um, because they're not getting the sacks that you'd love to see from a defense. But there have been some good things. Well, last week they didn't. Up until last week, they were. Mm-hmm. In fact, what they have? Six or seven sacks in the first two games? Yes. Okay, so it, it's you, you're looking at the last game, and the last game is always the one that, that that's fresh in your mind. Uh, they're playing a rotation. Um, Quinn has one sack. He's got a lot of pressures. He's just not finishing. Um I've always thought, and, and, you know, I think in his best year, uh, Al-Kadim's only had seven and a half sacks. He's more of a all-around type player. He could play the run. He could play the pass. He's never going to be a, a double-digit sack guy. Mm-hmm. But he's a guy that plays hard. He was brought here because he plays hard. He knew and understood the scheme, and he knew that he was going to play within – don't forget, he's not playing every down. What it gets down to is he's he's playing about half the downs because they're rotating four guys at, at those defensive end positions. Mm-hmm. And the guy who's getting a little bit more reps every week is is the rookie, Robinson. Mm-hmm. Got a lot of talent. I mean, that that's a guy, you know, back in July, you're saying he isn't even going to play this year. He'd probably be on the practice squad. Mm-hmm. And he is a guy that, that's getting better all the time. Um, I'll tell you the guy to me that is kind of starting to jump out. I think I agree that the overall play, the interior of the defensive line hasn't played as well as it has to play. Right. But at the same time, the guy who's making some plays is Jones. Mm-hmm. Justin Jones. Right. But I still think that, I'm not so sure that if, if you can go into the draft and get a, a good three, that he might not be better off at the other defensive tackle position. Interesting. 
Okay. And, and you're still going to do a rotate, you know, rotation. And I talked about that in that article um, earlier in the week too, is that, you know, three techniques are hard to find three mm -hmm. techniques for this scheme. Okay. You're, you're looking for a you know, a specific type of player. He's got to be athletic. He's got to be quick off the ball. He's very important within this, uh, this scheme. So finding the right guy is really hard. We had, we got one of the best ever to play the position and he, and we were lucky. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, and Tommy Harris, and that was the first year Lovey came and, and, that was just a freak happenstance of that. Well, two things. I mean, he was the first defensive tackle taken off the board. That never happens. And mm -hmm. we got him at 14. But like eight receivers or seven, seven receivers or something went in the top 10, which usually doesn't happen. And it, the, and on top of that, some teams would red flag Tommy Snee because mm -hmm. he had a little, you know, slightly arthritic condition in his knee. So, he falls in our lap, and then in the second round, we get another one that talent-wise was the first-round player. Who the hell is my dog? Bert? I feel sorry for whoever that dog is. <laughs> I've seen that dog. Somebody, somebody's probably going by the house, and so he gives them hell. Um, but, you know, we get Tank in the second round that if it wasn't for some concerns, then, you know, he was a first-round talent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, indeed. And we got Henry Melton a few years later, and 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 Henry became a Pro Bowl three technique. Mm -hmm. But you know, in, in fairness, Henry was drafted to be a a, a left end, mm -hmm. and he had, in fact, when he started off his career at Texas, he was a running back and a pretty good one. He was like a two hundred and sixty pound running back, and then they moved him to the defensive line. He only played defensive line a couple of years at Texas. And he just kept growing and he wasn't heavy. And all of a sudden, you know, we draft the guys 260, 265. And we find out it's going to be real easy for him to get 285. And he was a natural three because hmm. he had that athleticism that you need to play the three technique. And we moved it inside and he becomes a Pro Bowl player. Do you, uh, Nomad has asked me to ask you, do you know anything about Jalen Holmes, the defensive end uh, that was signed to the Bears practice squad? Uh, he's from Ohio State, 6'5", 283. He, he uh, came out of Ohio State with really good reports on him, but he I guess he struggled a little bit as a pro. So we'll keep an eye on him and try to gather some more information for you, Nomad. Um, back to the offense here because some questions about Justin Fields. For instance, straight up, Greg, do, does Greg think Fields will turn the corner? Uh, and then I'll add to that, do you think um, Sam Rush, as and you and I talked about this before we went live, what do you make of Justin Fields' demeanor in these press conferences? He comes off like he's agitated and doesn't care to answer any questions. Should the Bears PR team be helping him to be more cool up front? Your thoughts on Justin Fields. Is he going to turn the corner? And uh, what are your personal thoughts about when a player, particularly a quarterback who meets with the media so frequently, doesn't seem as engaged as, as perhaps the Bears PR department would love him to be? Well, I think it's it, it's on them to help him. Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, he he's got to see that himself. That the best way to help him is let him rewatch some of those things and say, this is the image you're putting out, you know, about yourself. And, and you know, you got to learn to, I, these are tough questions for the kid. Yes. Okay. And go back. He's 23, what, 23 years old? Mm-hmm. Okay. So it, it's not like he's 30 and he's been in the league for eight, nine years, mm-hmm. you know, and he can let some of that stuff bounce off. So, and he wants to be, there's not a doubt in my mind that his football character is excellent and he wants to be a very good player and it's going to do what he can to be a very good player. Mm-hmm. But right now he's struggling and he knows he's struggling. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I, he probably, he doesn't even want to do that. Mm-hmm. And maybe it'd be better for the bears. I mean, is there a rule that you got to put the quarterback out there every week? Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I, I don't think there is. I think maybe they give him, let him take a few weeks off from meeting with the media. I agree 100% with that, Greg. Why are we doing this to this young man? He clearly wants to just focus on football. He's got to meet with the media after the game. He's got to meet with the media in the middle of the week. That's just too much. At least once a week is is fine. And maybe missing a week or two uh, on any one of those or both of those obligations is is fine too. The, the key thing here is to develop him and get him into the proper state of mind. My concern is... I don't want him to grow frustrated with this coaching staff. He was asked by Patrick Finley, you've only thrown once, uh, and <laughs> your dog just opened the door. That's impressive. Yeah, just left. No. <laughs> <Hi>. <laughs> um, you're, 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 uh, you've only thrown the ball once out of like 1920 red zone attempts this season. And I'm paraphrasing that's that may not be correct, but it's a very low percentage of pass plays in the red zone. He was asked if that was fr- frustrating for him. And he said, no. But the body language was saying, yeah, it is. Well, he's never he's never going to publicly question what the play call is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Not at this point of his career. It's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Now, could he do that 10 years from now? You know, assuming that he takes that step. And we didn't answer that question before. Do I think he's going to get over, you know, get over the hump? Yes. And, and I'll tell you why. And I'll go back and, and I use you could two people. Josh Allen, and Josh Allen really struggled his, his first year. Wasn't a whole lot better, but the team was better his second year. Wasn't mm-hmm. even a 60%. You know, he, he had to learn. And he's and he had his problems with the press too, you know, standing in front of the press, answering questions because he wasn't playing that good. And when, you know, you just don't, when you don't play good, you don't feel good about yourself. Mm -hmm. And look at the, look at him now. He's so outgoing and demonstrative and and he's a leader, but he had to grow into that. Mm -hmm. Same thing with Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts stunk when he first started playing. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now it's his third year. Second year in the scheme, and the same thing's happening. He's he's growing, and he's m- making plays, and he's better in front of the media. He's better on the field. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it um, it takes time, and sometimes for some players it takes a little longer. Sometimes for some players it doesn't take everybody as long. Want, everybody wants, you know, Herbert and and Mahomes. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> those, are, those are anomalies. How about it? <laughs> you know, it's more like Josh Allen and and Hertz. Um. Today, uh, Pro Football Focus released a mock draft. <laughs> and they had the Bears with the fourth pick picking. That was yesterday. They're taking a quarterback from Alabama. There you go. And so Alex Sims uh, says, does Greg think there's any scenario the Bears will take a quarterback in next year's draft? I believe there's no way. There's no way. They gave, they gave this kid this kind of talent around him and, and said, prove it to us. I think I read that right. But- I, I'm not going to say there's no way. Because I mean, fields could fall off the face of the map and and just totally st- not not develop. Mm-hmm. We don't we, we don't have the answer to that. We're we're four games into the season. There's uh, still what thirteen games to go. Mm-hmm. A lot of football. Put it this way, he's halfway into it. I mean, he's only played fourteen games, so he's like halfway to that at the end of the season, and, and he's gonna. You know, he should be a lot better by, you know, giving more time in this offense than he is now. Mm. Will he? If we had the answer to that, we'd go over to one of those betting places and put some money down. Exactly. You know, there's tons of information out there, lots of good things to read and talk about, listen and watch and so forth. If somebody releases a mock draft, don't, don't do it. <laughs> don't I, 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 to me, a mock draft right now is a total exercise in futility. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's clickbait. Okay, yes, number one, and this is the biggest reason. You don't even know who the hell's in the draft. Juniors can't declare. They can start, I mean, they could publicly declare in, in November, December, whatever, but they're not officially in the draft until mm-hmm. January. But when they publicly you know, declare that you, you know they're in. You're guessing that these underclassmen could be in, but for whatever reason, they might not be. Like going into the season, um, everybody had this kid uh, from Ohio State as the number one receiver. He was a slot receiver last year. He caught 95 passes. Oh, he's going to be the best receiver in, in college football. He's got four catches. Mm-hmm. Okay, now he's been hurt. He got hurt in the first game against Notre Dame. I don't know what the injury is. I don't know how serious he's played the game after that, but he only had two catches in that game. Mm-hmm. And he didn't he didn't play. I know he didn't play last week. And part of the, you know, I, I like the receiver and I see what everybody else likes. But here's the thing. Last year he had two outs, he was playing the slot, strictly playing the slot. Two outside guys both went in the first round. Hmm. Who do you think was drawing all the coverage? The two outside guys. Oh. This guy was a sophomore last year. Mm-hmm. Okay, so all of a sudden, you know, he's he's because the other guys are drawing a lot of double coverage and they're trying to take away those guys. Mm-hmm. Smith and Jigba is, is the guy who ends up being the go-to guy in number of catches, not actually not big plays, but number of catches and gets 95 catches. So is he really, and and I'm just throwing a dart at the wall here because 
He hasn't played enough this year to really say. And because he hasn't played very much this year, that doesn't mean he's going to necessarily come out. You know, Mm -hmm. so is he really as good as some people say? Now, I'm saying that the the wide receiver class is pretty damn good. There might not be some of the great receivers like last year. I think it's too early to, to get into that. But it's deep. I don't know who the hell is calling me and why they're calling me. But, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it's you're going to get good receivers in the second and third round. Mm-hmm. Yep, indeed. And his, history says, Aldo, that you get real good receivers in the mm-hmm. second round. I, and mm-hmm. I, I made up a list and I had it in that article. I don't know if I got it here. Okay. A-Rob. Second mm-hmm. round, Stefan Diggs, fifth round, Ty <laughs> Hill, fifth round, Cooper Cup, third round, Devontae Adams, second round, Amon St. Brown, fourth round. You got to take the guy in the first round? No. You uh, and, and Iberflus was asked about the prevalence of wide receivers who are coming out and playing well, and he was asked why, and he says, well, it's because college programs – are really emphasizing the pass, and so they're spitting out better wide receivers than ever before. I mean, and that's where the money is now for players. They know that being a running back in in football is not where the money is at. Wide receivers where the money is at, so uh, people want to play that position now. (laughs) Yeah, but part of it, too, is, is how they're coaching the position. It used to be, and it wasn't that long ago, that when a rookie came in, you and I think we've talked about this before as you tried to teach him all three wide receiver positions mm-hmm. and you want him to back up and you and, and he's put on overload and mm-hmm. he plays slow because he can't, you know, okay, am I an X? Am I in the slot? Am I Z? Well, this is what X does. You know, you're just thinking too much and you can't play at full speed. Well, then they, you know, some coach had the, the idea that, well, maybe we ought to just keep him at one spot to start them off, let them learn X and play X. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then after he gets acclimated really good there, then we'll start to fill him in with some of the other things so that he can, we can do more with them. And, and that's one of the reasons why, you know, you got six and seven receivers on uh, a team now on a roster now, because not all these guys can play every position. They only can play one and maybe two of the three wide receiver positions. Uh, we got a question here from Tareen about Jerry Venisi. He passed away. Uh, did you know Jerry at all? Uh, and for those who don't know, Jerry Venisi was uh, an executive with the Chicago Bears who really was a key figure in developing the 1985 Chicago Bears. There are many stories about how he helped save Mike Ditka's job because Ditka was so temperamental. He was upsetting so many people at Hallis Hall back then. It was Jerry that acted as a mediator between the McCaskies and Mike Ditka and uh, did so much. And coincidentally, when Jerry Venisi left the Chicago Bears was when they started a gradual downturn. Do you, Greg, know Jerry Venisi at all? Anything you want to share? I I really don't know him. I met him once Mm -hmm. and, and don't know him. Well, I'll tell you what, he, you know, a, a special guy based on some of the literature I've read over the years. Uh, so uh, God bless him and his family and 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 uh, and for all his friends and fans. Uh, we uh, we wish you all the best. Uh, 
Greg, anything, you know, <laughs> I feel bad. There's new people joining us now, and we're, we're ready to shut off the lights here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anything that you want to share with people before uh, we uh, finish this episode up? No, but I'm going to say they're going to win this week just for the hell of it. Yes. <laughs> uh, what, yeah, they won at home. Now they got they they got to win one on the road. They, yeah. they, they had a chance to win one on the road last week. Now, granted, the Minnesota offense is pretty darn good. Mm -hmm. Great running back. They got a great receiver. Uh, they got a quarterback who's hot and cold. Mm -hmm. I think you put him on his ass a few times, and he's going to stink. And yeah. he's going to start throwing the ball to you. But the, the key is is getting him. Uh, getting a lot of pressure on him. But at the same time, the defense, I think, is very average. And so you're going to be able to do some things against that defense, hopefully run the ball pretty good. Um, I know what the, the Bears are trying to do. They're trying to shorten the game by running the game, by running the ball so much. But you've got to have success. And, mm -hmm. and actually, last week, they started – they did throw a little bit on first down, more than they have been doing. But then there's other situations where they were totally away from the from the past game. I just think that that's just got to come together a little better. Yeah, I'm with you. Let's take a quick look at the schedule here because after this game on the road with Minnesota, it's a short week. They play Thursday against the Washington uh, Commanders. I always want to say Commodores because I'm a big Lionel Richie fan, but it is the Commanders. And uh, then they're back on the road for two games, a Monday night affair with the New England Patriots who are struggling. And week eight against uh, the Cowboys and potentially a return to Dak Prescott unless Jerry Jones has named Cooper Rush as a starting quarterback. Look at I'm getting another call. Jeepers. Why don't you turn off, you know, press the button down and then you won't hear it. I'm trying. I don't know how to do it. It's on this. You got an iPhone? It's on the side. I got, yeah, I, I did turn it off, but it's now on the computer. I got to figure oh, out. Oh, I see. I see. The, um, they're going to beat Washington. New England is not very good, um, mm -hmm. but they play. They're so well coached and they play hard. Mm -hmm. Um who knows if their quarterback's going to be, you know, Mac Jones is going to be back then. Um, you know, they put up a good fight in their game last week. They lost the game. But, again, that's it's going to be a tough game. Uh, playing Dallas and Dallas, that, that's going to be tough. Uh, this is a weird part of the schedule. Probably the toughest part of the schedule, you got four out of five games on the road. Mm -hmm. And that, 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 that's hard. And on top of that, you got a short week. Actually, two short weeks. You got a real long time. You got you're playing Thursday night, and then you don't play again until Monday night. I mean, mm -hmm. what's with that? Why aren't you playing Sunday and then Sunday instead of going from Thursday to a Monday night game and then having to have a short week again? Mm -hmm. Especially for a road game. Yeah. Now I look at that last uh, what what is it one two three four five games. Um, while there are four out of those five games are at home, they are against the Packers, the Eagles, the Bills on Christmas Day, and then the Vikings to finish things up. And the only road game being at Detroit, that could be a real miserable ending to the season given the quality of opponents uh, they'll be facing there. So. But it doesn't matter because we're going to be patient, Greg. <laughs> that is the word 
the word of the day is patience. <laughs> Everyone, please be patient. Uh, Greg, it's always fun talking football with you. As somebody in the chat room said, you know, I love to tune into this show because my anxieties are relieved when I hear Greg talk about the Chicago Bears. You give a, a level-headed approach to uh, the game, and, and that's what we need right now, more of that and less of the – crazy stuff we see on social media uh any last words before i hit that button with the closing video no i think i gotta get back to my real job uh <laughs> going on over here right now so i know what you're talking about you take care and uh my best to everyone and thank you everyone uh in the who's joined us live and let people know that this show is now available on demand on youtube here and also will be on our audio podcast stream in about 30 minutes or so take care everybody bye-bye See you later.